Hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name is Edwin Davis and joining me this week, through the miracle of satellite technology, is Matt Risby. Hi Matt, how's it going? Yeah man, uh, I'm, I'm good. I feel like I haven't been on again in a while. I'm saying that more and more. Maybe my commitment is wavering. <laughs> yeah, we're all busy. Yeah. We've all got lives. Yeah, yeah. Adult life is a grind. Yeah, uh, I speaking of adult life, I had to go for a dental appointment on Monday, which is always... I've never had like a major problem with going to the dentist. Like I know, like some people find it very kind of stressful and intimidating, and certainly like for kids, it's a nightmare. Or kids and anyone who ever watched Marathon Man too young, mm. it's uh, a nightmare. But for me, it was never like that big of a problem. Probably because growing up, one of the, my dentist was also my next door neighbour, and like it's hard to be scared of someone you see like gardening for most days. Mm-hmm. But it was the first time ever they. Uh, did this thing where they created a 3D model of the inside of my mouth. They got like a, a wand, which they kind of like jammed in and then they kind of like moved it around. And then they showed me on the screen what the inside of my mouth looked like. And I tell you, that is incredibly weird and surreal. And for the next like four days, I was intensely aware of my teeth. <laughs> yeah, you weren't scared before, but you are now. You've kind of yeah. been subjected to this Cronenbergian body horror. Exactly. If you're kind of like, oh, yeah, the back of the bottom ones are weird. Mm, yeah, I'm kind of in that, that kind of terrified camp of dentists, but then it's purely mm. just because of own... It's not anything to do with the fact that it's a scary thing to do, but, like, mm-hmm. I grew up as, as a teenager, had, like, a, a lot of work done with braces and things like that. So yeah. having your brace tightened every six weeks was probably, you know, just going to see someone and then walk away and feel like you've been punched in the face repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And then that lasts for like five and a half weeks and then it wears off and then you go and have it tightened again. So it's kind of weird torture that you go through. Um, yeah. And uh, as a result, I didn't go to the dentist for like 10 years. And then, oh, lo and behold, a lot of dental problems. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the cycle repeats itself. So, you know, uh, look after your teeth. It's very important. Yes, very, very important. I had that problem when I came over here like i kind of skipped out on going to the dentist for a while because like you know i'd gone to like the family dentist for years and then you move away from home and you kind of think i don't really want to find a new dentist and the new dentist i found was like very expensive so i only went like once or twice because it was like yeah this is not really something i can afford to do regularly on the amount of money i make on like an usher salary so that's why you need to move next door to a dentist Ed. learn from exactly. your, learn from your youth exactly but so like when i came over here and started going to the de- dentist more regularly because you know i get insurance through my job that was a lot of like yeah it kind of seems like you've not been to a dentist for a while and doing lots of like deep cleaning and stuff like that and a couple of cavities had to be filled in since that initial burst of work and i had to have my wisdom teeth out which was rough that was very much of the like being punched in the face repeatedly mm-hmm. variety not initially because i was just high as a kite on pain meds but like the next day being like oh why why has this been done to me mm. welcome it's to short reverse shot a <laughs> podcast all about dentistry and oral hygiene yes uh, sometimes also about films so we'll go on to the news for this week which uh, is only really going to be one story because it's the kind of story that I think has been 
garnering the most attention over the last couple of days, which was Universal's decision to cancel the release of their movie The Hunt. The Hunt is a movie directed by Craig Zobel, who people know probably best for being the, one of the co-creators of Homestar Runner, the uh, much-beloved uh, internet kind of flash animation from the early days of the internet, but who also previously directed a movie from 2012 called Compliance, mm. which was a very divisive movie in the sense that pretty much everyone agreed it was a very nasty piece of work, mm. but people either thought that it was a nasty piece of work that had something valuable to say about misogyny and people's willingness to bend to the illusion of authority and people who didn't think it had anything valuable to say about those sort of things. I'm more in the first camp than the latter camp, but certainly uh, I can see why a lot of people just watched it and thought it was incredibly unpleasant because mm-hmm. it is quite an unpleasant movie. It's very effective. Um, that's what you say, isn't it? It's very effective. Yeah. Very effective. It, it, it did what it was aiming for. Yeah. But he has directed a few movies since then and done some TV work. But this, I think, seemed like his most high-profile thing for a while. It stars Betty Gilpin, as oh, who people probably know from Glow, who plays like a one member of a group of people who are kind of kidnapped and spirited away in order to be hunted by elites. It's kind of you know your standard dangerous game plotline basically but the thing about the movie that got it a lot of attention and uh, kind of started the ball rolling to it being its release being cancelled was that there seems to be based on reports about the script that were kind of put up online uh, a very political element to it there's this whole idea that a lot of the people being hunted are MAGA types uh, you know people from red states at one point apparently the state the, the, the title was caught was red state versus blue state or something similar to that and there's this very clear point of like the people hunting are meant to be these kind of like liberal elites who are going after hard scrabble you know red state Americans or whatever and that element of it got picked up by a lot of the nuttier parts of conservative media who said that you know Hollywood's made this movies where liberals hunt down and kill kill kind of Trump supporters for sport. Having not seen the movie itself, having not really any confidence of whether or not context of whether or not that script ended up being the final script and that ended up being what the movie was, ignoring the fact that from the trailer for the movie, the so-called liberal elites are very clearly the villains. Mm. Like there's very few examples of movies where people hunted for sport where you're like, yeah, fuck them up. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like the sympathies of the movie are very clearly with the people being hunted, and but this kind of like spiraled out. There was this whole, whole this thing, this whole like thing got picked up by the foxes and the Breitbart's of the world, who basically argued that this was Hollywood targeting Trump voters. People kind of like kicked up a fuss, and eventually uh, Trump himself complained about Hollywood making racist movies or something. I don't know, uh, but uh, that has now led to Universal cancelling the release of the movie because of this clearly bad faith argument based on kind of very spurious evidence that has not been verified about whether or not the script that everyone was kind of getting angry about was in fact what the movie ended up being, people having not seen the final film, and also just ignoring from the trailer what the context of the story clearly is meant to be. Mm. So it's a very stupid story, Um, especially because the sort of people who complained about the fact that this movie was being made and successfully managed to lobby for its release to be cancelled are also the sort of people who are probably like get really furious when Nazis get banned from Twitter. 
and like this, and like what about free speech? Blah, 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 you know, those sorts. But oh, and, and as well, it also goes into this broader thing where you know we had two horrible mass shootings last weekend mm-hmm. in the U.S. One in uh, El Paso, Texas, and one in Dayton, Ohio. The immediate response of the right wing was to say it's mental health and video games, which I think is an argument that hasn't really caught traction with a lot of people. A lot of people are like, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of countries have mental health problems and video games. They don't have mass shootings because they don't have fucking AR-15s readily available to any psychopath who wants to wander into a Walmart with it. But that also kind of seems to factor into this because like Universal initially were like, we're going to cancel a lot of the marketing because it's a movie with a lot of people being shot with guns which also seems like ludicrous when you consider that the number one movie in the country is Hobbs and Shaw mm. which is also a movie that has a lot of people being shot with guns and there's lots of movies out all the time that have people being shot with guns so the idea of targeting this specific one for that reason is kind of ridiculous yeah I wasn't particularly aware of this controversy mm. um, I dare say that the hunt will end up over here at some point but yeah, does... My guess is it's probably going to end up on Netflix. Yeah. Like, this is exactly the sort of thing that they would be like, Universal probably at this point don't want to put it out. Um, at least not in the, the near term. And so it's like, okay, we'll sell it to Netflix for like $5 million and get something for it. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's the kind of thing where, like, had the right-wingers been the, the perpetrators, they wouldn't be arguing about it <laughs> which is yes. like we should be the baddies in this scenario you know we reserve the right to be the baddies it just seems such a ridiculous like you're not winning the argument no and it also feels like from universal's point of view like i think their decision to pull it is probably also a little bit of an economic angle because i think the very nature of the movie is meant to be kind of like very provocative and to stir controversy or whatever but also i think clearly seems to be geared at people who are you know quote-unquote MAGA types Hmm. like I feel like those are the people the movie was meant to appeal to and know those those people have been lied to and said oh this is something that you should be mad at so probably from their point of view it's like well our target audience for this now hates it and I don't think we're going to get rescued by blue state types so it's probably best for us just not to put it out Mm. yeah it's interesting that that trope has come round again of like hunting people for sport. That seemed to be mm. relatively popular. Kind of goes in and out of vogue, doesn't it? That that trope. Mm. Um, yeah, every ten to fifteen years or so, someone's like, you know what, we haven't seen in a while. Mm. Like we haven't watched. You know, it's been a while since everyone watched uh, John Claude Van Damme being chased through the streets of New Orleans. Yeah, by Lance and punching Henriksen. a snake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and being helped out by Wilfred Brimley on a horse. Mm. And let's give people the modern version. Maybe we thought that Hunger Games was like the the most uh, sedate, childlike version of that. We can have we've gone full circle and we're going to go back to now as having adults do it seriously. Mm, yeah. But yeah, it's just like the story that I think over the last couple of days has most been emblematic of a lot of terrible things mm. <laughs> in culture in 2019. And also, you know, kind of ties into the idea that, you know, like something like Gamergate continues to happen it's just you know it keeps moving to different things people making completely stupid bad faith arguments about works of art and in order to get them pulled or to kind of you know harass the creators it's just very distressing yeah and it's always the same mo it's always the same 
way they go about it that it's it's kind of like a playbook at this point isn't it and it's uh yeah it's getting getting pretty tiresome but except this time instead of you know 18 year old shitheads it's 60 year olds who watch too much fox news yeah 60 year old shitheads instead a different breed of shithead <laughs> mm. yeah ones who own their own house mm. so like i said that's kind of the only news story for this week so we'll go on to our topic now uh this past week it was my birthday and as is customary on the show, if uh, it's for your birthday, you get to decide the, the topic. And uh, I thought, you know, kind of going on to the, to, from what we were just talking about slightly, uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about video games because it's something that you and I have talked about off mic quite often. And, you know, we both play video games and have played video games, I think, for most of our lives. But it's not something that ever really intersects with what we're talking about on, on this show. And I think it would be kind of a fun thing to do. Mm. The reason it doesn't intersect, Ed, is because every video game movie has been terrible. Yes, and if we were to do an episode about video game movies, it would probably be just as saying, yeah, this one didn't work. Yeah. That one also didn't work. Mm. <laughs> and then just kind of like enumerating the different ways in which it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's, it's limitations to that. So I think this is going to be a, a kind of more general about, um, you know, games in general, our experience with them, what we like and that sort of thing. So. To begin, uh, you know, let's let's talk about our our history of video games. Uh, Matt, what was the the first console that you ever had? What was your kind of early video gaming experience? My first console was the Sega Master System, the mm-hmm. old eight bit machine that came with Alex Kidd and Miracle World built in, which was kind of like a pound shop Super Mario, but with like really mm-hmm. weird rock paper scissors mechanic you had to memorize when you played the game through. Then it also came with Operation Wolf and the Light Gun. Um, oh yeah which was just seemingly endless side-scrolling vietnam action um that always you could play it you had to play two players as well because you had a light gun for the gun but your control player your d-pad through grenades so mm-hmm. rockets so i was always my brother's <laughs> grenadier um, and <whilst laughs> to watch him endlessly play that game uh, and then yeah graduated up through to mega drive and then on to, yeah, I was a, a Sony person, never a Nintendo. So, yeah, I was kind of Sega and Sony. It was, I've only ever had PlayStations. I think I've had all of the iterations, one, two, three, and four. And I always buy mm. them about three years after they're out, and just before they're about to end and move on to the next machine. I can get it on the cheap. Everyone's selling yeah. their games, and then I can play them and say, hey, this Red Dead Redemption game was good. Uh, and I was <laughs> like, dude, that was like 10 years ago. Um, yeah. But, you know. And I'm I'm also dreadful at computer games. This is something that me and you have talked about uh, a fair amount. I am uh, laughably bad at, um, <laughs> at video games, but I do enjoy playing them. Yes. And oh, the classic scrapes I get into whilst playing them um, will and never cease to entertain me. What's kind of an example of a of a particular scrape that you were like, yeah, this is dumb but fun? Uh, I played Hitman. The most recent <laughs> one because that was on PS like store for free. Yeah, and like many games that require kind of intelligence, um, <laughs> I didn't make it through the tutorial. And in the tutorial, <laughs> I managed to throw a wrench in a man's soup when I was trying to kill him, <laughs> and then I did end up shooting him in the face, and then trapped myself in the freezer while I was trying to hide his body. Wow. <laughs> that's generally how i go and then and then i completed the the bit the first bit of the tutorial because you have to like go onto this yacht and kill this dude and then mm-hmm. it's like right now try it again a different way with a different method 
in a different room with a different, um, you know, uh, murder weapon. And it's up to you to decide. And I basically just kind of blended in at a party and <laughs> forgot I was supposed to be doing anything and uh, <laughs> failed again. I, I just could not. I basically just did it the same way, wearing a different hat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was, yeah, I'm, I'm very poor at those kind of games. But yeah, I kind of, I, there's a real only small handful of games I've ever actually taken all the way to the end and completed them. And yeah, I don't really know what the 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 the, the, the factor is that ties those games together because they're all quite disparate games. But a game that that requires any amount of intelligence or quick thinking, not a person for that. I do play. I'm playing at the minute like Star Wars Battlefront, which was a game that wasn't very good when it came out, and then they kind of patched it yeah. and added a load of stuff, and it's like quite fun now, and you can get it on the cheap. But first person shooters and in multiplayer. Oh, good God. Like, I'll just I'll just wander into a place really, like, naively. And I'll be like, oh, who's that? There's a man over there. Who's, who is? Oh, he's got a gun. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. <laughs> I want, yeah. kind of just wonder what his story is, and then I've been shot in the face. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, things that require quick reactions. I'm not your man. I think that new Hitman game and, and its sequel are probably the two games I enjoy watching people play more than anything else because there is a kind of self-conscious goofiness to them, mm-hmm. like in terms of the various ways in which you can kill people that can lead to like really amazing stuff. The The website Giant Bomb have done multiple streams over the years where their video team have sat and played it and been like, okay, we're going to try and complete this mission. And it's so fun watching them kind of struggle through missions and try and figure out the best way to do it and the the ways in which they fail the absolute best of which was one where uh, there's one where there's like a parisian fashion show and they killed this model called helmut kruger and used him to climb up climb up the pipe of a building to get to this party on the rooftop which itself is very very funny because they're all imagining like what are these people at the party seeing mm. <laughs> and what are they thinking when they're like man that helmet kruger is fucking crazy <laughs> he's just climbing up the building for no good reason <laughs> but it culminates with them getting to this party and the target is standing right in front of them and they have a knife and they lock on but they don't lock on for long enough so instead of throwing it they just do an underhand toss where the knife just like flies <laughs> off the building <laughs> and then everyone at the party starts shooting at them and they have to run away that that game's uh, incredibly incredibly fun to watch people uh, play at and mm. I imagine it's also fun to watch people who are good at the game play it but uh, watching people who aren't 100% sure on what they're meant to be doing is is really fun mm. I've, I've played i played a lot of um tu- i've played the tutorial i think of every assassin's creed game but no actual mm-hmm. gameplay because it's kind of get lost in a crowd and it relies a lot on stealth and being kind of like crafty and then always end up in just this kind of massive brawl and i'm like yes. oh, sure this, this isn't the point of this game and i'm just i'm just gonna hide in this haystack and just hope it blows over but like for several hours rather than a minute mm, yeah i never really got on with the assassin creeds game because i always was like man it's fun to just climb up to towers and then jump and fall 400 feet and just land in a tiny uh, you know hay hay truck mm. <laughs> or a or a wheelbarrow or something and mm. that was always the stuff that i thought was like great that sense of freedom and explore, exploring everything and then when it was like oh yeah you need to go and actually kill someone I'm like, oh, do i have to, <laughs> do I have to... Can't this just be called Creed, like, or you know, be the ultimate <laughs> hay bale simulator that I can just kind of roll around in rather than having to uh, indulge in this violence? Yeah, why can't it be, you know, kind of a licensed parkour game? Like every year they put out it and they name it after whoever the most famous parkour person is. Mm, it's uh, Ed Helm from The Office, isn't it? I think. Oh wow, that's a very. It's uh, a deep cut. Yeah, it's a great. Uh, great uh, model as well they really capture the gap in his teeth 
yeah, I think my uh, my experience for the games, my first one, the first console I ever had was a ColecoVision, which uh, Such was a, a console. Such a hipster. Such a hipster. I know. Well, my parents were hipsters because they, my dad, uh, my dad's dad ran an arcade in Rill in North Wales. So, like, my dad has always been into games that are played in arcades. You know, he, he loves pinball. He would uh, hustle pool halls as a, as a youngster. He was always very good at those sort of games. And so when he was like in his early 20s and he and my mum had just got married, they used to really like going to the arcade and playing uh, arcade games, you know, the first round of video games that came out in arcades. So they loved Ladybug and they loved um, Paperboy. My mum really loved playing Paperboy. And there, so they like really enjoyed the opportunity to play that stuff at home. So they bought ColecoVision for £500 in 1982 or 1983 which I worked out using the internet was about £1,600 in today's money. Yoink. So quite an expense for, to play, play games back then. And the games themselves were like 80 quid a pop as well. So very expensive. They only had four. But those were the games I played like very early on. So I played the original Donkey Kong, which came built into the, into the machine, was basically why people bought it. Uh, Ladybug, which was a kind of a pac-man ripoff that one's you know really good because pac-man's a solid game and all you all you're doing is doing pac-man but it's a a ladybird running from insects it's still pretty good mm-hmm. um and people probably know it best now for being in the documentary uh, uh, king of kong mm. like i think that's that's what they're getting the kill screen on at one point and uh, they also had uh saxon which was an early sega game it was a uh, isometric space flyer game where you kind of like have a spaceship and you're flying through environments and you have to dodge obstacles and shoot enemies which was really good and really difficult they're all really difficult games and they also had a smurfs platformer which uh, i remember being very difficult and i think in hindsight was actually just very bad Mm. because it was very poorly animated you could not tell what was grass that was safe to walk on and what was spikes that would kill you because it was all green and they only had like three colors blue green and white and the jumping in it was uh, it left a lot to be desired so the platforming which was all that you did would often result in you just dying Mm -hmm. and i remember it being incredibly hard to get to the end of any given level so those were like my early experiences then got a a a mega drive and i was a real sonic kid as Mm -hmm. a a kid uh I, i played the first four sonic games one two three and knuckles like to death Mm-hmm. Um, I, re- I remember also being amazed by the idea of Sonic and Knuckles where you had the cart where you flip the top open and then you put Sonic 3 in and then you could combine them into one new game where you played through all the levels but now you could play as Knuckles which I thought was an amazing uh, innovation and uh, also we had a Mega CD Good we were grief. the one we were the one family that had a Mega CD which had like Sonic 3D on it which I remember being a pretty good game and also had like proper animated video because you're playing it on a cd so it had this like really elaborate in uh, intro where there was this whole metal planet hanging above mobius and you had to run up and sonic like ran up this metal chain and that's where i think that's where they introduced metal sonic as a character so like that was all like really big i was such a big sonic kid as a, a, a fan as a kid read the comics and all that but then from you there immersed yourself in the lore exactly yeah uh cried when johnny lightfoot died it's a real deep cut for all your sonic the comic fans out there <laughs> but only the english version because the american version has an entirely different plot but the um 
but the like the the, the console that I really loved was the next one we had, which was the N sixty four. I was mm. like became just a total Nintendo fan from them. We also had a a, a PlayStation, which was mainly used for like Dance Dance Revolution when that came out because that came with like the map. So that mm. was more for that was more kind of for fun party games. But I loved. Uh, nintendo games i loved rare games which was why when i got to work at rare for a couple of years when i was at uni was like the dream come true for me but uh yeah love love them love the communal aspect you know the four controllers playing mario kart mario party super smash brothers going to like friends birthday parties and just not winning every smash brothers match i played but generally being very good um play your own fucking trumpet jesus christ it was years ago let it go Really liked playing as Fox McCloud. He was my guy. That's not a real um, person. It is. He's the character from Star Fox slash Lilac Wars. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know the guy. I know the guy. Yeah. Very standard. Lilac Wars as well. That was a, a favorite game of mine. I think that's probably one of the games I've finished the most times because it had like multiple paths. And depending on how well you did in certain levels, you could go the hard route. And it, it only took like an hour to play through the whole game, basically. So I always like playing through that. Uh, and then yeah, from there on, GameCube played a lot of games on. That was like came out like two thousand one, two thousand and two, and I was like big into that. Mm-hmm. My dad had the original Xbox, so played a lot of Halo. Oh yeah. And the original Splinter Splinter Cell a little bit, but not a huge amount because uh, kind of like you with Hitman, anything that requires stealth, I'm not great at. <laughs> and that's all those games are. Like I enjoy games where you can kind of plow into a room and occasionally just kind of like brute force your way through yeah uh, like uh that's also the thing i liked in the most recent spider-man it's like you have those stealth missions where you have to be stealthy but there's other ones where it's like you can take everyone in the room out quietly if you like but if you fuck it up you can just yeah if it pops off them. you can throw down you can throw some elbows exactly uh and then i kind of took a long break from like owning consoles because i was you know, I was working at Rare, I was doing like crazy hours. The first year I worked there, I was regularly doing 105 hour weeks, which uh, is something that you can only really do when you're like 19. It's your summer break from uni, <laughs> um, both in terms of having a lot of free time and in terms of just the toll it takes on your body. Mm. Very easy. You know, a lot of people do those sort of hours now at some companies and it's very easy to just get kind of burnt out and suffer terrible physical and psychological effects from it. Uh, games industry, great. No problems at all. After I finished working there and moved back up to Sheffield, we had a 360, I want to say, or whichever one it was that came with Rock Band. Because that was like, that was basically the game I played for like two or three years because, you know, all in a kind of like student house. No one really had too much money a lot of the time. So it was like nice to have something that people could come around and, you know, kind of drink and play and have a big communal thing. And so mm. rock band was like a big kind of thing for everyone in the house to do for a while. Uh, and then more recently, the release of the Switch. That's kind of been a big thing in getting me back into into playing games of, you know, just the accessibility of having a console that you can play at home or carry around, but which also has this library of all these like big indie games that have been released over the last couple of years that I just missed out on. So there's this kind of like, like you, like you talk about, you know, buying a, a PlayStation late in its life and suddenly having all the good games like the switch coming out and being like oh hey you know you can now play undertale it's like oh great <laughs> i've got all this wealth of stuff i can check out that i've heard about but not had a chance to play mm, yeah 
It's weird how that happens, isn't it? Like people are so caught up in playing the current console or whatever, they don't stop to think, well, hang on, there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of games that I can just mm. be playing on, you know, that people are just giving away for free or like not very much money at all. Yeah, and that was also one of the things I was always really excited about with like, you know, because I also had like the Game Boy and the Game Boy Advance was every so often, once those consoles became powerful enough that they could like play 8-bit and 16-bit games, then they started like re-releasing the first couple of Metroid games and like Castlevania, games that I didn't play at the time because I didn't have a Nintendo console. But now I'd be like, oh, everyone says these games are really great. And so I was always very excited to check out these games that were considered like real canonical classics. And, it, and in some cases, you know, directly led to games that I had played, like the Metroid Prime games, and being like, oh, cool, I get to experience these for the for the first time and you know play them on the bus to school Mm, yeah have you played overcooked on the switch no i i imagine that is really fun it's really fun but also triggers the ptsd of working in a kitchen (laughs) um yes some of us have um but yeah that's a that's a really fun game yeah that's certainly one of the things about it that i really want to kind of do is Try out, try out some of the multiplayer stuff. Uh, I really want to play um, Mario Kart Eight, which is one I missed out on because I didn't didn't have a Wii U. But that looks uh, incredibly fun uh, because those games are all just like it's a very simple concept that they just repeat every time, but with better graphics and occasional tweaks. But yeah, like four player Mario Kart is still certainly from like the the N sixty four days was one of my favorite memories of playing those games. Just screaming at people as they blue shell you right before you're about to win yeah yeah yeah. playing overcooked last week with my family and you know had had to fire my my nephew from the kitchen because i'd be like (laughs) we've got two onion soups on that's a mushroom don't put the mushroom down we don't we need onion soup we've got two stop put the fire extinguisher down nothing's on fire now you're just spinning around you're fired you little prick and i'm like well there's no excuse like you applied for the job and you got it so yeah, don't lie on your CV. That's the, <laughs> that's the moral of the story there. You said you'd worked at the Savoy. Yeah, how ro- clearly not Savoy worthy. <laughs> no, absolutely not. What are some of your kind of like canonical favourite games? What are the ones that you think of like that really was amongst the best things I've ever played? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And I know that I'll name a bunch and then realise I've forgotten some. Um, but that's the problem, isn't yeah. it? I'll kind of I'll kind of go through them in in kind of like the order in which I had favorite games. I think the mm-hmm. earliest favorite game I enjoyed was Cannon Fodder. Oh, um, I loved Cannon Fodder so much. Which I is, got so upset when anyone died. I know. Yeah, it was one of the first games that kind of introduced permadeath. Um, yes. And also, kind of this weird kind of satirical edge to it. Uh, famous mm-hmm. for the title song "War," never been so much fun. Which uh, when combined <laughs> with an image of a poppy on the. Uh, front screen incurred the wrath of the british legion in a uh, in a in a in a very 90s bit of tabloid outrage that mm-hmm. most people have forgotten but that happened um but also used to have a, a, a bunker hill didn't it on the front of the uh, on the load screen at the start where if your man yeah. died in action they would get a little gravestone that would be there permanently yeah. and the more kills they got the bigger their gravestone was um, yeah, yeah and also very... they had the the line of new recruits that grew longer and longer yeah. the longer the game went on, which also kind of felt like a weird commentary. Yeah, so yeah, Sensible Software made that. They also made Sensible Soccer, which was a you know, delightful game um, mm. where you could score a diving header from the halfway line, which is always uh, <laughs> good. You know, in today's realm of 
hyper-realistic things like FIFA, then, uh, you know, that seems uh, you know, delightfully odd. Um, so that was one of my early favorite games. Then I think I would say that moving into the like PS... I mean, I, I did complete the Grand Theft Auto games. I kind of liked GTA 3 to the degree that I played it so much that when I played it again 10 years later, I didn't need the map to get around. I knew, I knew where everything was, <laughs> which was, uh, you know, quite something. Kind of many nights of kind of insomnia at university passed by playing that game. Um, and then you obviously have games that are popular in your in your kind of student houses, like Pro Evolution Soccer was huge. Uh, yeah. Kind of before FIFA became the dominant game, we would have those games and just kind of play them through. Uh, my favorite game of all time uh, is Psychonauts, which is of that kind mm-hmm. of PS2, Xbox One type uh, era um a delightful tim schafer game if you kind of know tim schafer's stuff like day of the tentacle and uh what's the other big one he did grim fandango um yes, yes. you know his stuff's really great um and yeah psychonauts a game a kind of a very simple platformer with very very basic mechanics but you, each level is is takes place inside a different person's psyche and the level mm-hmm. design is incredibly inventive um and it's just a, a real joy to play the first Red Dead Redemption is a is an awesome game. The last the the, the new one I have played, which was uh, a grind, should we say? Mm. And Emily actually recommended uh, back in the early days of her joining us, recommended a, a YouTuber called Nakey Jakey, who yes, has got a good. great video on on why Red Dead Redemption might be the, one of the most frustrating games. <laughs> ever because mm. it's uh you know beautiful and to look at and you know great to spend time in but as an actual game <laughs> is uh you know not not a great deal of fun so yeah those games i really still get a kick out of things like lemmings um, yes which that was uh, on my dad's work computer in the early days so the early 90s and that was always that was another one where as a kid i think i think i probably had a slightly too keen sense of empathy because anytime i had to sacrifice a lemming like when you would like like when you would turn them into the guy who you know stops over lemmings and at the end of the level they would just have to die because there wasn't really any way to deprogram them no um, you had to blur them up. that was a you had to blow them up and yeah. it was always just really sad because they would all like grab their own head and go oh no and mm. explode which is a weird thing for yeah. a child to see Yes, yeah, it's, yeah, it's an <laughs> odd one. Uh, more recently, I think the reworked version of XCOM has been really good. Mm. Uh, a game yep. I had very limited experience with because I didn't. I kind of had friends who had like Amigas and stuff, so I didn't really play it. Kind of aware of the game, but yeah, the the the, the PS3 version of XCOM uh, and the PS4 version of XCOM Two have been great. Very much enjoyed those. Like any red-blooded male, mm. I have lost uh, an awful lot of hours to a championship manager. In the mm-hmm. in the old championship manager days, when you can, you know, on a on a meager budget of five million pounds, take Hull City from fourth division to the Champions League, um, <laughs> just by mining, you know, Scandinavia for excellent value players. Um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think generally that might cover. It. I've probably forgotten. Yeah, Command and Conquer. I played a lot. Red Alert. Yeah, 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 That was real fun. Although there's not uh, the Total War games. I very much enjoyed. Yeah, I, re- I really liked Rome, Total War. Yep. I remember putting a lot of time into that. Dece. Getting me phalanx is right. Yep, <laughs> got to do that. I'm a big fan of the uh, game Faster Than Light. Uh, have you ever played that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's real fun. Yeah, I think I think those are my kind of touchstones, I think. 
uh, of, of favorite games? Uh, GTA 3 was a, a big one for me. That was certainly one that I remember putting a lot of time in. But uh, for me, it also has one of my absolute favorite moments of ever playing a game ever, which was the moment when I realized, oh, like you don't have to play this game the correct way. Mm. They are giving you a lot of latitude to do pretty much whatever comes into your head. And um, for me, it was there was a there was a, a race. There was a you know they would have street races in that game, and it was a motorcycle one. And I kept losing. I was just kept losing uh, or coming in like second or third. Just wasn't working. And then I tried it one time, and I thought, well, the game doesn't start until I get on my motorcycle. What happens if I just blow the tires out of all of the other people in the race mm. before the race starts, and then hop on and. They had kind of accounted for that because if you shot out the tires, the race would just instantly start. But there was enough time that you could just like grab a machine gun and just spray them all. So I knocked out all the tires of the other races, hopped on my motorcycle and just won incredibly easily. And that was like one of the moments that I thought, oh, I've figured out some way of cheating this game. But in a way that is actually entirely intentional because they have given you this completely massive open world in which you can do anything you like. Mm. Um, yeah. That sort of stuff is great. Yeah, it it was. I I always kind of like doing the odd things in those games, those kind of open world mm. games, and I, I feel like the last Red Dead, my favorite experiences were there was. I think there's a point in the game where you you are kind of forced into having quite a high bounty on your head, just the mm. way the story goes, and I actually got into this position by and I just lost all my money playing poker. And uh -huh. I actually couldn't go into a major city and I didn't have any money. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I genuinely, genuinely had to spend like a week in game living in the wilderness, like, you know, like killing my food and, and eating it and um, um, kind of just doing odd jobs for people. And that was the the absolute best I had of that game, like stepping out of the story and actually living like an outlaw for a bit. Mm, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, the cool thing about that game is is, you know, you have all these weird little kind of meetings with people and you kind of go off on these little side missions that are kind of really fun. And then yeah, you realize that everyone has those experiences at one point or another in the game. Uh, it's just a matter of time, but yeah, that was when I got the kind of the best feeling out of the open world thing. Cool. Some of my favorites kind of, again, going through like chronologically, like I said, uh, the Sonic games were big for me. Sonic two, I think was probably my favorite of them. Uh, I particularly remember cause it was the things like the chemical plant zone where, you were going through this like murky purple water and the I still, you know, if I am watching someone play that game on YouTube or whatever and they're underwater for too long and then Sonic starts to run out of air and like the timer starts showing up and the music starts going like speeding up as you're getting close to die, it still makes me very, very stressed and tense. Do you want to hear my impression of the noise when Sonic gets an air bubble? Yes. Very good. Pretty accurate, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, they're like, not quite PTSD, but certainly like I guess just nostalgia, <laughs> like mm. the positive PSD, PTSD nostalgia. And so that was that was kind of like a major one for me. I did like uh, probably some of my best, like my, my favorite games were all on the N sixty four. So like Ocarina of Time was a major one for me. I think beating that game for the first time was something I remember being especially proud of and pleased with, and I remember being really moved by the ending of it when you know all these the champions who you have collected over the course of the game 
essentially sacrifice themselves in order to you know defeat Ganondorf and the ending of the game is kind of like the music playing out but uh, showing all of their family members gathering together and kind of consoling each other because they're you know they're being left without their loved ones I remember finding that like strangely moving um, Mario 64 is another kind of like big one those are like real kind of like wow games is changing <laughs> kind of moments where suddenly you're in this big 3d world and everything is like the, the 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 scope of the whole thing just really seems to grow out from there uh in a major way i also really liked majora's mask which was the sequel to ocarina of time where the whole conceit of it was that you relive the same three days over and over it was mm-hmm. a kind of a groundhog's day scenario and at the end of the three days, the moon crashed into the world, and so your whole thing was like trying to do as much stuff in those three days, you know, defeating dungeons and whatever, uh, in order to get the you know right items, masks to, to to get up and defeat the the kid that was res- responsible for it all. Mainly, though, again, kind of like moments in games that proved surprisingly poignant for me. There was a mission where you arrive at this farm on like the second day. The first day you can't get there. Or the first playthrough, you can't get there because it's blocked by a boulder and then you get a mask that allows you to drop a bomb on it and blow it up and then you can go into it. And when you go into the farm, there's this girl there who's just catatonic and traumatised and just like completely non-verbal. The parents are really kind of confused and we don't know what happened. And then if you go back to there on the first day, she's like running around and she's perfectly happy. And it's like, okay, something crazy happens to this girl tonight and she gets abducted by aliens. Mm-hmm. And so your aim is to stop the aliens or ghosts, I think, from taking her away. And it's very difficult because they're advancing on her and you have to kind of hit them with arrows. And if they reach her, you know, you fail and it's very upsetting. <laughs> um, but then you succeed. It's like, oh, she was never kidnapped. Yeah, you weren't. Here's a special mask, probably a cow mask, I think. And... I remember thinking, oh, that's great. But then the days reset and you go back there again and she's catatonic again. And that sent me into a real existential tailspin of being like, okay, so I saved her in one timeline, but now everything's reset. So she's not saved. So she's just going to constantly be getting kidnapped and just finding that really, really upsetting. So when I went to complete that game for the first time and, and actually win it, I pointlessly and for no real reason went and completed that mission again just so i thought okay in this final timeline she's fine <laughs> and that was like a moment that left a real deep impact on me from that game mm. um, I've, I've just remembered a game that i forgot i did say i would forget one but uh, mm-hmm. we love katamari the and the katamari yes. damasi games um, yes yes delightfully weird game of uh, the prince of the universe who gets drunk and destroys the universe in a mm-hmm. in a kind of like pissed up rage and then gets his tiny tiny son with a sticky ball to roll up the you know roll up the world and 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 kind of make them into stars and that is you know not something that is lost in translation that is just how odd the game is <laughs> um, and you know you could start up rolling paper clips and and pencils and rulers and then you kind of graduate up and you're rolling up school children in buses and by the end it's deities and lakes and you know it's kind of absurd but that's a hugely fun game yeah i played that for the first time this year because it was re-released on switch Ah. And that was a game that I had played. I think I played 
we love Katamari mm-hmm. on my friend Katie's PS2 when I went to visit her in Aberystwyth years ago. And I was like, oh man, this game's really fun. I wish I had more time to kind of play it. And then I never had a console that it was on or I never, you know, had the time to pick it up. And so when it was released on Switch, it's like, oh man, this is great. And the controls are a little wonky on the the Switch controller, but it was still like immensely fun and satisfying to, you know, as like you say, roll up the world. And then there's that moment where once you get enough stuff, the ball kind of expands and suddenly it's like, ah, that dog that was running into me and knocking stuff off the ball a minute ago is now something I can pick up and, you know, get a real sense of satisfaction from that. Mm, you're mine now, fucker. I'm rolling you up. Um, it was uh, <laughs> You're going to be a star. Yeah, I don't think Katamari Damacy came out on PAL. I think it was uh, NTSC yeah. only, so it was, it was yeah. t- hard to get, but We Love Katamari was, was released in Europe, so that was widely available, I think. Yeah, uh, great, great fun, weird game. Still probably one of the weirder games I've ever played. Other favourites, I really liked the Paper Mario series, which were the series of RPGs that starred Mario. So it was all like like turn-based combat, and the whole conceit of it all was it was like a like paper puppets so it's like a 2d world and but with 3d backgrounds so there's lots of fun playing with perspective and the battle sequence in it was surprisingly complicated so mm-hmm. those games i always really liked and the stories were always really fun and inventive and you know a little bit different for what mario was usually doing i remember there being a kind of mystery mission in one of the games i think in the one that came out on the gamecube where you were at a wrestling arena and someone had been kidnapped or murdered and you have to kind of figure out who was behind it all which i remember being really fun and kind of intricate games that i really enjoyed and my dad really enjoyed as well we would often like i play it together and kind of offer each other hints was a a mega drive series called the shining force series Mm -hmm. which were turn-based tactics games you know you had a you would go around this world there's this kind of like fantasy world and you would recruit people and then you would go into turn-based battles where you know, you'd be on a grid and you have to figure out the right place to to go in order to take people out and try and get through the, the, the fight without losing everyone. Uh, I thought those games were incredibly fun and well-balanced. I really liked all those characters. And there was all this whole thing of, like, there were secret characters around that you only found if you did certain things. Like in the first one, in the very, very beginning of the game, when you're in this, like, town outside of a castle where you grow up which then gets obliterated like almost immediately there's one hut that you go into and there's an egg in it Mm -hmm. and you have to carry that egg with you for fully half the game and then you get to this like castle where all these wizards are doing weird scientific experiments you put it in there and it hatches into a character called domingo or i think domingo is like the you can name him but like his standard name is domingo and he's just like a basically like a jellyfish with magic powers. Of course. And obviously, and he's one of the best characters in the game. And if you didn't know to pick up that egg and you didn't know to take him to that facility, you would have no way of getting him, especially because it's not a game that backtracks. You complete a chapter and then you, you don't come back unless it's like an end game thing. But at the end of the game, that castle you lived in has been destroyed. So it's not like you can do anything with it. Mm. I, I really liked that sort of stuff, like going around and thinking... Or, or you'd see like a character in a bar who very clearly is meant to be a character that you join because they don't look like any of the regular villagers, and just kind of figuring out what quest you want in order to actually, you know, get them to join. Then mm. more recently, like Rock Band was just like mainly because of the communal thing, and you know, getting people around, getting a few drinks, and kind of rocking out to 
uh, Shout at the Devil or whatever, like songs that I wasn't even like a fan of, but like it was fun playing it with people. And also it was just fun sort of learning how to drum from it. Not mm. to a level where I could actually perform in a band or whatever. And certainly when you get to a higher difficulty, those levels get, uh, those songs get incredibly hard to play on drums. But it was like really cool. I think I'm actually kind of learning how to play an instrument from playing this, this game. Mm. The, the thing that was cool about Rock Band and like Guitar Hero and stuff is, especially if you grew up playing games in the 90s, is when everything moved online and the multiplayer element of games moved online, you didn't have that kind of, you know, get your buddies around on the couch and play through Streets of Rage or whatever, or, you know, yeah. the kind of communal gaming where you're actually all in the same room kind of mm-hmm. was lost. And when Rock Band and Guitar Hero and stuff came out, that was nice to have that back, you know? Yeah. Did you ever go to like a LAN party? Was that ever kind of something that was in your, your sphere? No. No, no, I wasn't. wasn't in, that, was, that wasn't my scene, baby. I went to one at uni that was done in my friend Pete's house, and there was like I think they had like fifteen or twenty people, and it was it was it was like a fun thing. I think we were playing it was it was a Star Wars multiplayer game. I can't think of what it was off the top of my head, but it was like a one where you're you're going around and as a squad doing kind of like missions and tasks and things. I remember that being quite fun. It was fun you know, kind of like setting up a laptop and playing the same game with a bunch of people in the same room, drinking and joking around. Mm -hmm. It was like a fun atmosphere, but it was not something that uh, I did that often because my laptop was kind of shitty and (laughs) couldn't quite keep up with what was happening, but it was, it was super fun. Yeah. And and also in terms of more recent games, you mentioned FTL. I really like the game that that studio made afterwards that Enter the Breach, Mm. which is a, Again, a turn-based strategy game where you're playing as these. You start every metal with, you start every level with three mechs, and you have to defeat these insects that are coming out of the ground, called Vec. And it's a really fun game. It is also incredibly hard. I've completed the game like multiple times now, and with the on the hardest difficulty with most of the different teams you get given, and I still very regularly just get completely wiped out in the first round because you're like you put one of your mechs slightly too far away so they can't join the fight, so they just like absolutely wreck all the stuff you're meant to protect. And that sense of challenge, the fact that it doesn't go away, even having played the game a, a fucking ton of times, mm-hmm. uh, and having put like 400-something hours into it, according to my Steam account, is really, that, that is really magical to me. That sense that the game is always kind of, even though it's kind of the same sort of stuff over and over, that it is still kind of giving you stuff to discover and Mm. and new things to play with is is quite cool replayability is massive and i think there's some games that you want to replay because you maybe want to do all the side stuff you want to kind of 100 percent as it were which is yeah you know the thing i had with red dead redemption the first one the first one i want to just play the story through um and then the the second time i played it it was like well i'm gonna go and spend some time doing all the side bits and the hunting uh challenges and the sharpshooter challenges and trying to shoot fucking five people's hats off in one dead eye (laughs) um and that was almost like you're playing a completely different game but then games like uh xcom where once you've completed it you unlock the capacity to change the settings Mm. um so when you play through xcom the first time you've got a choice of you know easy medium or hard or whatever and then when you've played it through you can start tweaking with everything you can be like well my grunts have randomly generated stats or like randomly generated classes and 
Um, I can put it on kind of Iron Man extreme mode, which I would not recommend <laughs> um, <laughs> if you have any kind of attachment to your, you know, your uh, your, your your recruits. I, also, my friend Andy, who listens to the show, he plays the XCOM games every time they come out, but he, he edits all of the people, all his recruits to look like us. His friends, oh, like his huge group of cool. friends, and then and then plays the game through, and then updates us all on his progress. And, <laughs> you know, just get a, like a message off him saying, "Oh, you know, Corporal Risby died when he walked into uh, a room full of you know mutons." And I'd be like, "Well, I did, did I? <laughs> I was just following orders." <laughs> uh, and I got, I think my wife made it through to she was like a major or something. So, and you know, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't yeah. say I'd be good in a war, but I think I'd probably last longer than her. <laughs> Yeah, the XCOM games are really, really fun for just making you feel like a total fucking idiot for accidentally sending someone slightly too far forward. Yeah, and anyone, and, uh, anyone who played uh, XCOM with the Enemy Within expansion will know mm. the words Wailing Village and instantly have this horrible, horrible, horrible feeling in the pit of their stomach. And everyone has a very similar experience where they just creep over the line of that mission having been wiped out several times. Um, and that is a horrifying John Carpenter esque uh, <laughs> descent into awfulness, where you're kind of tracking alien activity, and it's hard anyway. And then when you get to the bottom of the village, you find a whale that is full of aliens bursting out of it, yeah. and then you have to get back yeah. out. And they're they're skittering after you, mm. and they're very fast. They are, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. The uh, you talking about hundred percenting it also remind me that one of the things that kind of sparked and wanted to do this episode this week was I just 100%ed the Spider-Man game that came out last year mm-hmm. and that is another one where you know I played through it the first time pretty much just like okay I'm gonna or, or I completed it you know just kind of going through the missions that relate to the story and then occasionally doing side stuff because I was just swinging around it will give you a notice like oh there's a crime nearby it's like, okay I'll stop and help that person being mugged or whatever and so the last couple of days I went back and did like the DLC episodes I hadn't done and also like went and got the last few trophies that I hadn't got, which turned out to be like literally the one of the easiest ones in the game, which is just doing a bunch of stuff in the lab. Mm. And I'd like left two tasks undone and it took me like five minutes. I was like, oh, great. Platinum to the game. And all I had to do was just go back to the lab for a few minutes. But that's an, another game that I really, truly love. And it's a, got this wonderful sense of exploration. I think it's, the right level of open world game for me because open world is like a genre that i struggle with a little bit because i'm someone who likes a certain degree of structure and like knowing more or less where you're going and if there's extra stuff to do then that's fine but like it's very i often find it very easy to just be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of stuff and spider-man has a lot of stuff in it to do but obviously it's all contained in manhattan Mm -hmm. and there's, even though that world is kind of like vast, it's pretty good at signposting the stuff you need to do. Um, Breath of the Wild, the most recent Zelda game, also has that right level, even though that world is pretty vast. It makes exploring such a joy and that sense of like found experiences of like you ring around and then suddenly, like, like my, one of the first things I did in that game, and which was the moment that made me think, oh, this may be like one of my favorite games ever, was I was like, I just got through the tutorial and made my way onto the land of the, onto Hyrule. And I saw an enemy on a horse riding at me and I threw 
like a stick that I picked up into the no, I picked I threw an axe that I picked up into the face of the enemy, knocked him off the horse, jumped on the horse, and rode away. <laughs> and I was like, this is fucking great. <laughs> That's just something that happened in the moment because I happened to have the right thing. I nailed that guy with that axe, and now I have a horse. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the sort of stuff that was is mainly the the the, the, the reason why I never quite got on with the Red Dead games because there was a slight too high level of realism to them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's kind of like fun cowboy hijinks, but the like like you know you describing the having to camp out for a week sounds like fun, but also just like the slow moving around that world and the grindiness of it does is like the thing that puts me off playing the game. Also, it's it's so long and it's so hard to find time to play a game that long that requires that level of uh, investment. Mm. And, the, and the thing is about that second one as well, the first one you play it through and you're like, oh, I can't wait to do that again and do it differently, like I said earlier. But the second one, I was like, right, I'm never playing that again. Because yeah. it is, I think it's just, there's like six chapters, I think. And mm. two of them are wholly unnecessary. Um, right. And yeah, it kind of, it, it becomes a little repetitive um and you know the the rock star mission structure of go here do this follow this person shoot this guy kind of starts to mm. starts to great after a while but yeah uh, open worldness is something that i i embrace to a degree but i'm like you i do need to be railroaded every now and then and sometimes i'm not that fussed about the 100 percent thing especially when it's spider-man and it involves catching fucking pigeons which yeah whoa, i think I I remember the elation I had when I caught my first one, but mm. then when I dropped to the ground, landed on a train track, and then was hit by <laughs> by the L train and died instantly, <laughs> was was kind of the kicker. Uh, yeah, and I was like, oof. yeah, that was awful. I think I didn't. I think I got maybe four or five of them, and I, when it, when I'd go past one, you kind of trigger that chase, and then and then it would there would be like. There's some dialogue over the top be like, oh, you, you suck at this or something. I was like, all right, I'm trying my fucking best here. It's a pigeon, <laughs> for Christ's sake. Yeah. But clearing the bases and stuff was something I really, really enjoyed. Um, mm. And I think I, I played uh, quite a bit of uh, Far Cry 3, which had this really great oh, yeah. kind of like uncover the map. Oh, there's lots of bases. Clear out the bases. But each base was kind of like a puzzle. And the first, mm. the first few, you know, I was pretty timid as a player and kind of just like wanted to creep in and like cause as little trouble as possible. And then, you know, by the end you're like, well, I'll shoot the lock off that cage that has a puma in it. That'll kill most of the people. And then I'll stealth in and slit all their throats and throw a grenade at that last guy. And it's kind of like when you perform that kind of balletic dance, it feels great to, to, uh, to pull off. Um, Mm. but yeah, I liked that about the, the Spider-Man games, the, 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 the hideout clearances were, were always really fun. Yeah, I, that's what I really liked about, you know, you would have the screwball challenges in those games where occasionally you would have a one that was pure stealth. And it mm. was like, you have to wipe out all these enemies in three minutes, otherwise a hostage dies and you can't be seen. If you're seen at all, the hostage dies instantly. And that was a fun kind of puzzle thing because you had to work out, okay, what's the best order in which to take these guys out? What's the kind of the route I need to take? is there some way for me to distract these guys? And, you know, like you get one guy to look away and walk over and then suddenly the other one guy's safe to take out and then you can take out the other guy. And I'm like, like I said earlier, I'm not great at stealthing games. It's something I kind of like struggle with, but being able, those were games that I, uh, those were challenges in the game that I genuinely found hugely satisfying and enjoyable. Mm, Yeah. 
There was that was the same in kind of. Uh, did you ever play the Batman Arkham games? No, I figure I would like them because yeah. it seems like this owes a lot to it. Yeah, the the, the first Arkham Asylum game is really fun, um, and you have this similar thing where the combat is like very fluid, and you know there's a lot of counters and dodges and all that kind of stuff. And you know your your first couple of hours of gameplay, you're like, oh, I need to avoid this one guy. And then, you know, towards the end, you're like, oh, there's 12 guys over there. I'm just going to wade into the middle of them and kind of take them all out in one seamless combo of punches. Um, and yeah, both <laughs> both of those games do a really good job of kind of like translating that about the, the kind of comic book fun of it. Mm, yeah, I really think, even though I think the, the, the fighting in Spider-Man occasionally is a little kind of like basic, I do feel like all of the moves are pretty satisfying, you know, when you do your takeouts and it, slows down and goes all the camera spins around you as you're like drag it, pulling a guy's face directly into your knee and flying through the air like all that stuff is always super satisfying and i never really tire of just like jumping in the air pulling someone up to hit to you and then just like knocking them straight down like that's just a super satisfying way to play that game mm. I like, th- like swinging people around and throwing them off roofs mm-hmm. um and then not yep. thinking too much about where they're going to end up in a mangled heap on the sidewalk in front of uh, hundreds of absolutely horrified spectators who are regularly traumatized by a teenager throwing criminals off roofs to splat down and like rain down death in front of them. It must be awful to live in Manhattan. Who then also walks up to them and points to them and is like, hey, yeah, do you want to sell me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to sell me me, mass murderer Spider Man? Yeah. I enjoyed um the like taking pictures and stuff in that game that is really fun but then also mm. um just the thrill of jumping off tall buildings yes like climbing yeah, all the way to the top old. of the avengers tower or the empire state building right and then just kind of jumping off and and you know when you hold down the button that makes you kind of like go all streamlined and quick and then just pulling out the last minute and zipping off somewhere mm. is, is that same like assassin assassin's creed thing where it's fun to climb a thing and just kind of like gaze at the world around you but then it's like okay let's have the rush of just diving headfirst hundreds and hundreds of feet <laughs> and like you say yeah just pulling out at the last minute and sailing off to some new adventure mm, like yeah, yeah. like doing doing the dlc for that even though i've played that game for dozens of hours it was still and even though i had unlocked the fast travel like i basically almost never used it because it was always like you know what? i don't need to take the train i'm spider-man i'm gonna zoom around the city and just kind of like hurtle around because that's that's half more than half the fun of that game is traversing new york city Mm, yeah is there is there any type of game that you don't understand um i have kind of often bounced off of jrpgs Mm -hmm. um i often like like i've played several of the final fantasies and i kind of like them but at a certain point i just kind of reach just kind of a wall and i just give up and that's probably on me and just not being willing to put in the hours to really kind of like dig into the the, the background of what you need to do but yeah like a lot of a lot of those sort of games are just like a complete mystery to me particularly when it's like even more complicated by not just oh you need to go into battles and you get xp from fighting which is stuff i'm familiar with that was kind of like a big part of the shining force games but when it's also like okay and also specifically talking about like the persona games you also go to school and you have to maintain all your social links with your friends and those somehow benefit you like again that's sort of like a, a thing that probably if i spent enough time reading up on it i would probably like understand that aspect a bit better but it's it's such a weird 
combination for me. Uh, although having said that, uh, people have been saying the new Fire Emblem game is really, really good, and that has a lot of that sort of stuff in it. So I'm kind of tempted to to check that out. I also, even though I love watching them, I've never felt, watching videos of people playing it, I've never really felt a great desire to play the Mario Maker games mm-hmm. because as much fun as it is to watch people like do really hard levels, I feel like it would be a waste for me to buy it and only play other people levels. I just don't feel like I would have much of a good grasp of how to make a good level, which seems to be like one of the main things about that game. Um, mm. And where, but like that, that seems like something you think, okay, I think that would be fun. But also it seems like something that I maybe wouldn't have the great skills to do, especially when you see how ludicrously complex some of those levels become and people make them into just puzzles to torture people with <laughs> mm. like real hellraiser stuff yeah i i kind of like i said like played quite a few sport games but i think when the sport game veers too much into simulation mm. it become like i don't really understand like fishing simulators or right yeah um like f1 simulators like driving games i've never mm. understood maybe it's because i just don't like cars maybe that might be it but yeah there's a Tour de France game, and I'm like, that's be exhausting. Just, you know, like button yeah. bashing the way you used to on like Olympic gold or whatever. Um, you know, you put your finger in your t shirt and rub it over the two buttons, and you know, you can like yeah. do the 100 meters in like four seconds or whatever. But doing yeah, that yeah, for, yeah. doing that for um, the Tour de France, my, yeah, must be that must be really, really, really well. You must have to, you know, juice <laughs> you must have to get some get some roids on the go to 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 play that game surely if that's an element of it i think that would be really fun obviously you can't do it because it's like you know probably officially licensed and not gonna ad- admit to like widespread doping or whatever but mm. honestly that would be so much fun if you were doing a tour de france game and that was an option if that was the easy mode if that was what the difficulty was you choose it's like uh easy mode you get you know your blood transfused Mm-hmm. And you get all of the roids normal you only do that once yeah. like you get one chance to do it for a hard level and hard is like you don't break the law <laughs> um i i was never massively into the tony hawks pro skater games um yeah i had the i had tony hawks pro skater 2 on game boy advance which i really enjoyed and that was kind of a fun way of playing that game i thought that they transferred it really really well but i remember watching people play the 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 version on the the play i guess it must have been the playstation one and i just never really got the hang of it mm, yeah. uh, which again is, is just me not being good enough to handle all of the tricks and figuring it out and not probably just not having much much of a understanding of the lingo of skateboarding to kind of figure out what's a good trick to do but i was just never really good enough at that mm, you want to pull a nice 720 stale fish ed i think that's uh, <laughs> that's what you need to do that's a genu- that's genuinely yeah. a trick, I think. Um, wow. On those games, I think that's why I was always drawn to the more cartoony sports games, like Speedball Two. Uh, no, well, Speedball Two is great, but yeah. I was thinking more of like um, SSX Tricky. Mm. That was my that was something I really loved. I really enjoyed. I think particularly maybe SSX Three. I think I had, which was really just like incredibly fun fluid you know really enjoyed like uh, uh uh snowboarding down the mountain and all of like getting speed boosts and doing tricks and stuff and it not being anything really resembling real 
snowboarding, but it being an incredibly fun way to kind of engage with the speed and the physics of that sport and it being kind of fairly brash as, as, as an example of that sport. And then obviously like Nintendo have done so many of the kind of like the Mario sports things where, you know, Mario tennis, I really loved. Mm. And, Mon- and Monkey Mar- Ball, did you play Super Monkey Ball? I loved Super oh, Monkey Ball. So good. That one where you had to, uh, you roll down a ramp and then you, mm-hmm. you kind of like glide onto a target. Yeah. And I get that I, shit in the Olympics. It'd be amazing. With I monkeys. Spent a lot of time doing those. Yeah. Those games were, they're just so much fun. Mm. And there was monkey tennis in it as well, which made Partridge's <laughs> dream come true. Finally. Yeah. Uh, in his lifetime, he got to he live to see it. Mm. Though he wasn't on telly at the time, unfortunately. No, no, a real shame. I think you've just revealed that you like SSX Tricky, but not Tony Hawk. Mm-hmm. So really, your problem is wheels, Ed. That's, that's what yes. you don't like. You don't like wheels and indoors. I don't like having to build up speed by going up a ramp and then down a ramp and then up it again and then, you know, doing a trick and a grab or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like, they just say, okay, gravity is doing half the work for you. <laughs> you just have to try and think of ways to pick up speed. That's fair enough, Ed. That is fair enough. I just want people to make it easier for me and gravity does, does, does that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It does a lot of work for you. And we end this episode as we end all our episodes with Shot Reverse Shot Recommends, which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you, the listeners, will enjoy as well. Matt, what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week? Well, as uh, you know, regular listeners will know, I'm trying to work my way through 52 uh, films from the golden age of Hollywood. Um, and I'm, I'm going to just presume that like, I know Emily was struggling before just finding it. And are you, are you up to date on your challenge, Ed? Oh, not at all. But yeah, I, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm streaking out ahead here. Um, and I've been, I'm kind of about halfway through it now and I've, I've caught some really good stuff and I'll kind of, um, save a lot of it for the end of year episode. But I did see a really good film this year, uh, this week, The Stranger, which is a film I've not seen before. The Orson Welles film, uh, from mm. 1946 where Orson Welles plays a Nazi who's trying to blend in small town America and Edward G. Robinson as a Nazi hunter is tracking him down and I'd never seen it before I didn't really think I didn't even know it was Orson Welles who directed it I I don't know I've got this thing in my head that he only directed like a handful of films and yeah it just kind of popped up on Netflix and I saw it was in kind of the wheelhouse of the years I was looking at and I watched it and yeah that's a really really tight little noirish film with it was reading up about it it's like the first film to use like real footage of the holocaust in it and stuff and it's like Mm. I always find it really interesting looking at like post-war American cinema and just how quickly they were addressing it. And there was a lot of hand-wringing around 9-11 when they were like, is this film too soon to come out like three or four years afterwards? And, you know, in an event that affected, in terms of people who lost their lives, actually quite a small amount of people compared to how many Mm. people actually fought in World War Two, And they're making films about that, like the year that the, mm. you know like probably there's a lot of soldiers who aren't even home yet before the first films start dropping and i always kind of find that kind of weird because a lot of them aren't particularly celebratory of of the efforts and they like they always seem kind of to deal with trauma in, in quite a kind of interesting way but yeah the stranger it's super good it's on in, on uk netflix um if you want one of am i fair to say that it's one of awesome wells uh kind of lesser works i guess no well not lesser as in quality but as in what lesser known i guess yeah i think it's one of the ones that 
like he there's lots of movies that he directed that he wasn't credited on for one reason or another mm-hmm. and i get the feeling that might have been one of them um like he just kind of like took it as a movie for hire as as work for hire probably to film some other thing he wanted to do mm-hmm. but it's really good it's also available on american netflix because i think they added a bunch of his movies to tie into the release of the wind yeah 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 over here as well yeah so uh if people haven't seen that it is super good it's a really good movie i am going to recommend a book by lillian ross called picture which is a book about the making of john hewson's the red badge of courage uh lillian ross was a writer for the new yorker i believe and she basically spent a year and change embedded with the production of the Red Badge of Courage. She followed John Houston around for the entire of pre-production of production. And then she followed around when Houston went off to Africa to film African Queen. Mm-hmm. She hung around with the producers who then uh, chopped the film to ribbons and turned it from what a lot of people seem to think could have been, you know, a great war movie and a great, great work of art to a kind of 70 minute mangled mess that got bungled in as the second half of a double feature in drive-ins and it is a really good account of of how movies get got made at the time and the thinking that goes into it and Lillian Ross does a really good job of illustrating the very different philosophies of the people involved with making it and their discussions of what people want what movies are meant to be Houston himself is like a real fascinating character and anyone who's heard him talk, you know, seen him in Chinatown or heard him shoot him, find it very hard not to read his words in his, in, in his voice, particularly whenever he says something like just well. And, you know, she uh, describes him stretching that word out to like a full 30 seconds, which is great. And what's particularly good about it is the sense of irony of it all. Cause really the first half of the book is everyone being like, really high on the making of the movie and thinking, you know, what Houston's done is really good and being excited by the rushes and thinking he's made a great work of art, may not have made a movie that's going to make a lot of money, but people are going to really like it. And then the second half of the book of, you know, the executive seeing what Houston had made and him being on the other side of the world. So he can't really make the case for it. So they just start saying, we need to take this scene out that everyone said was great, including the people who are now saying it needs to be removed. And I think anyone who's really interested in the, the vagaries of Hollywood and how exactly good movies end up being bad uh, should should really check it out. That is A Picture by Lillian Ross. Mm. If you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, all the usual places. Raters, reviewers, and recommend it to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow awards. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me. Yeah, and it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.